Brandon Steiner, and this is Unplugged with Brandon Steiner. Uh, hi, Coach. Thanks for joining me. It's, uh, it's just an honor, really, to have you, actually. Thank you. Uh, how are you feeling? I mean, how are things going? I mean, you've, you've been a championship <laughs> coach and great person, great golfer. But, I mean, how is being an analyst and how's your life going? It's going well. Unfortunately, on January 20th, I was in a car accident, totally demolished a car. My left leg was paralyzed and no feeling in my left hand. So on February 15th, the Mayo Clinic, they did major surgery on the back of my neck, put in three artificial vertebrae, three rods, and that, that fouled me up a little bit. But health-wise, uh, you know, you go to surgery, they got to fill out all this medical thing. I said, Doc, four years ago I had a cold. That's the extent of it. So I've been blessed to have good health and good energy. Wake up call though when you're in that kind of situation does it make you, you know, think a little differently. I got a letter from you uh, it, soon after. You know there was nothing I could do to prevent it. There was nothing I did to cause it. You know there's just some things you have to accept and you move on with your life. I we we are so blessed uh, with our family with our health. Uh, we count our blessings rather than our problems in our family. What's important to you these days? I mean, again, you've had such a you know tremendous uh, career in coaching. Now you're doing the uh, the Obviously, you're on top of your game, a top <laughs> college football show on ESPN. Well, you just talk to you think it's something to say on TV. But see, everybody needs four things in their life. If you don't have four things in your life, you're going to feel real void. Everybody needs something to do, something you're passionate about. That's why I do television. Bear Bryant died less than six months after he gave up coaching. So yeah, the second thing you need is you need someone to love. And I've been blessed with a wife. We'll be married 50 years this summer. The third thing you do is something to hope for, something to dream about, something you want to see happen. And the last thing you need is someone to believe in. And so I have been blessed to try to make sure I have all four of those things in my life. But most important thing is something to do, something that you're just passionate about. Well, besides you know going to work, and obviously ESPN is probably a lot of work, what are some of the other things you're doing these days that are taking up your time that are important to you? Well, I've been involved with uh, our foundation. We've had a foundation for 11 years. We financed the foundation with the proceeds from three New York Times best-selling books I've written. And before you get impressed with that, I've written more books than I've read, so I understand that. <laughs> and uh, we, we're very involved with that. Uh, it helps education and humanitarian causes. The other thing is uh, getting involved in this country politically. I've gone to uh, all over this country virtually to help raise money for various poli I don't want to say politicians, let me say people that have finally decided enough's enough and want to get involved in this country. I, I don't worry about me, you know, I'm so old I don't buy green bananas, but I do worry about the debt, the direction this country is going for my grandchildren, you know, what kind of life are they going to have, what kind of opportunities are they going to have. You know, my dad had gone to the third grade, I was born in the Depression, uh, there was no welfare, no food stamps, no safety nets, but yet we, we made it. How did we make it? Because we, we relied on our family, aunts, uncles, grandparents. And it isn't what you had, it's who you had. And one thing we had was people who loved you and believed in you and encouraged you. And you didn't worry about having all the luxuries and cell phones. Right there. All you did was went out and played ball. So you're not, a, I mean, do you feel like we're in a good direction as a country? And do you feel like the distraction, you mentioned cell phones and all that, is that a distraction, taking this country off course, or? What I think it is that uh, too many people worry about monetary things today. And everybody uh, thinks about their rights and their privileges, and I'm entitled to this. 
You know, when I was younger, I was taught you had obligations and responsibilities. You brought a child into the world, you had obligation and responsibility. You joined a business, you have obligation or a family or take on a spouse. I just uh, am a great believer that we have obligation responsibility and life's all about making choices. Now, I don't, you know, I'm a very simple individual and I don't do anything complicated, but if you choose to do drugs, you choose to drop out of school, you choose to run with the wrong people, you're ending up choosing to fail in life. Now, because you made bad decisions, why should everybody else be held accountable for the choices you make? I think we have an obligation as society to help other people, to help other people that cannot help themselves. I'm talking about the physically handicapped, the mentally handicapped, et cetera. Is we that have, a priority right now for you, physically handicapped and mentally? Yeah. Is that yeah, part that, of your that, foundation? That is. It's, I, I think it's a very big thing about it. But I, I, I was taught my parents would take care of me when I'm young. I had an obligation to take care of them when they were old. These are just old-fashioned things I believe in that uh, all you should have is an opportunity to succeed. There's nothing in the Constitution that says you have the right to succeed or you're guaranteed to All you do is with hard work and dedication, you make good choices. No question. Um, something I got to play like a champion. Very, you know, it, it seems to be you know, synonymous with Notre Dame, and it's such a big saying. How does this saying come about? Because it is seems to be everywhere around Notre Dame football. And where's that? Where's that? Where's that whole slogan come from? Came from me. And what happened? When I say it came from me. I discovered it when I first went to Notre Dame. I went to the library, got all the books I could find on the history of Notre Dame football, and I was reading them, trying to make sure I understood how lucky and fortunate I was to inherit this tradition. And Tradition's always under construction, so it was my obligation to build on that. And I'm looking through the book, and I don't remember what book it was, but there was a picture. It showed the players going down to the field, and there was a sign that said, play like a champion today. And I said, what happened to that sign? Who hired it? Who put it up? Nobody. And I, and I talked to people who've been in Notre Dame for 30 years, nobody had ever heard of that sign. I said, well, obviously it was there under somebody years ago, probably Duke Rockney. So I said, we're going to get that sign made up, and every time we go out on the field, we're going to hit that sign, and we're going to think about all the great players that played before us, about all the sacrifices we made to be there, and the sacrifices our family and other people have made to allow us to have this privilege. And for three hours, we should act like champions. So I said, get that printed up, and the lady printed up, patented it, and she's the one who makes all the money off of it. We know that, yeah, but we seem to do well with that, and, and it's it's amazing uh, how motivational and inspirational that seems to be all over, even, out, even outside of Notre Dame. Well, it, it just summarizes, play like a champion today, and so when I sign autographs now, I write, live like a champion today, yeah, like because that. I think it... Uh, that's what it's all about. It's day by day. It's not living in the past, and it's not worrying about the future. And uh, I had no idea, though, that they play like there. a champion. It wasn't anything we promoted. I never talked about it. But the people would come in to tour it. They would see it, and the word got around. And I am amazed. Probably your biggest legacy when you think about it. <laughs> Championship. Well, you know, as I say, it, tradition. Wasn't, it wasn't my idea. I just found that it had been there years yeah. ago, and I said, we're going to put it back up. That's cool. Let's talk about Notre Dame for a little bit. I mean, what's so great about 
coaching and, and, and playing football at Notre Dame? And what's not so great playing and coaching at Notre Dame? As I say, if you've been at Notre Dame, no explanation is necessary. If you haven't been there, no explanation will suffice. Notre Dame is just special. It's unique from the time you walk on the campus. Notre Dame football is not just a game. When Notre Dame was talking about building a stadium increasing, which they said they would never do, right. the first they tried to go the NBC network, but the demands for ticket was so great, et cetera. So you're saying, should we enlarge it? And, and so when I met with the board of trustees, I said, Notre Dame football is not the game. It's the lunch in the day before with several thousand people. It's a pep rally the night before. It's a band playing on the steps administration building. It's going to Sacred Heart Church. It's going to the grotto. And it's a shame that so many people who graduated from Notre Dame can't bring their family or their friends to show them what Notre Dame is really truly about. And so they increased it to 80,000. But from the time you walk on that campus, the building, the atmosphere, the students, the pride, uh, it's just special, it's unique. Notre Dame is truly a national school. I don't know if there's another national school, although there'll be some schools that'll draw national attention because they have three or four good years. But Notre Dame can go anywhere in the country and recruit. You can go into Southern Cal and compete with Southern Cal. You can go to Texas, compete with it. You can go into Pennsylvania, compete with Penn State. Why? Because you look at the academics. You look at the environment. You look at the, the graduates and the success that they have when they leave Notre Dame. But it's just Hold special. on, Coach. i got to interrupt you. <clears throat> but if that's the case, then why has it been so hard to win? If you can go anywhere and get anyone, why is it so hard to win? Well, you can't always get everybody in because of the academics. When I went there, Father Joy said to me, Coach, before you take this job, there's certain things at Notre Dame are not negotiable. We don't redshirt. We don't take transfers. We don't have an athlete dorm trading table. You aren't going to be able to start football practice after 4 o'clock, and some of them will miss it because of labs. And they had a policy. The head coach could not make more than the president of Notre Dame. The president of Notre Dame is a priest that took the vow of poverty. I made something like $95,000. Most I ever made there, I think, was 135000 They gave the president a raise the sixth year. But that was all part of Notre Dame. He did not say one thing that would keep us from winning. He didn't say you could only play with eight. Everybody else had 11. What he did say, there's going to be problems, difficult, and obstacles in anything you do. Now, when I was at Notre Dame, we didn't have good football facilities. They didn't want to improve because they didn't want to be in the arms race. We played the most difficult schedule we could find. That was just Notre Dame. We could not bring an athlete on campus until his second six weeks of senior year, which many had to come on campus in December for the first time, and all the snow and everything else. But Notre Dame had to make a few changes. They had to make a change on recruiting when you could tell a kid that he would be admissible to Notre Dame. Why? Because so many athletes were making commitments their junior year, and that yeah. put Notre Dame to The rest of the things, they've changed, but they didn't need to. You can win at Notre Dame. I mean, no mistake about it. If you get the right leader there, who's the right leader? It's a guy who's run a successful college program for a couple of years. Uh, Frank Leahy, number two in the country at Boston College, Air Park Siege at Northwestern. Dan Devine at Missouri, Lou Holtz at uh, Minnesota, Arkansas, and other places now. You can't go hire a high school coach. Jerry Faust and Terry Brennan, two of the most beautiful people here, they're not ready there. You can't go Too much pressure, too much to do. And they don't have the experience. I, and, and I'll get to that in one minute. But you take a Charlie Weiss, a Bob Davies, I'm sure good coaches. But 
there's so much pressure, and it isn't, well, you got to win or we're going to shoot you. You just feel an obligation because you've been in their day. Most people in the stands, I mean, it's not like, well, I'm going to have a drink and I'll forget about it. I mean, they live and die with the success in their day. And so do the student body. I think body. some people are going to jump off some bridges, you know, after a loss. That's how, you know, it's... When a student pays his tuition, they think that entitles them to at least one national championship during their, during their tenure there. But you... When my first year, we won five games and lost six, and yet we played. Uh, we lost five games by a total of fourteen points to teams that finished in the top fifteen in the country, and you know that that wasn't very good. But they lost to Miami fifty-eight to six, the last game the preceding year before I got there. But here's the point: I believed in what we're doing. I knew that our policy, our plan, our formula would win as soon as we converted all the players into believing it. There wasn't one element of doubt that I was going to change our offense, going to change the way we did that, because I knew it would work if we give it time. Can Kelly be a winner? Yes. Kelly can be a winner because he has won in other places. He's been successful at Cincinnati. He started out, I think, at uh, uh, Grand Valley State and then Central Michigan. He's won every place he's been. I think he understands it. Yes, I have a very good feeling about him, and he understands, and he believes in what he's doing. And it'll be a matter of time, but he will win a national championship at the University of Notre Dame. There's no doubt about it. I've spent a lot of time with Brian. I've watched his team. And, and it, it goes back, you're always going to have good athletes in Notre Dame. I mean, you can go to a tailgate at Notre Dame, give a holler, and get 12 great football players going to want to come there. You will always have talent at that institution. It's getting them to accept a role. You're not there to go in the NFL. You're there to get an education. You're there to be part of Notre Dame's history. It's not about me. When you walk in the room, your attitude is, hey, here I am, look at me. Your attitude, I'm at Notre Dame. There's certain obligations, responsibilities, and I'm going to fulfill them. How do people compare Notre Dame with the Yankees? You know, this year we have the Yankees, uh, you know, in Yankee Stadium, you know, hosting Notre Dame. What do you feel about that tradition? I mean, how big is that game going to be? Uh, what, do, what do you think about what do you think about that kind of environment, that kind of situation? What does that do for the program? I think when people talk about great traditions and national favorites, they talk about Notre Dame, the New York Yankees, the uh, Boston Celtics. I mean, these are just traditional places where you might have downs. You'll have a lot more ups than you have downs. But uh, I thought George George Steinbrenner who I first met him was an assistant football coach at Northwestern University, and I followed the Yankees. I think he's one of the finest people, one of the most generous people I've ever seen. I never called on George Steinbrenner to help us at a charitable cause that he didn't be so gracious. Now, did George ever come uh, to any games when you were coaching? Or oh, yeah, he came to some games at Notre Dame. He loved Notre a Dame. Big football he, fan. He, big football fan. He, uh, he loved Notre Dame. And, Matter of fact, this spring, the Yankees were playing uh, the Baltimore Royals in an exhibition game, and my son Skip, who's head coach at Tampa, was asked to throw out the first pitch. So I went over there with the grandchildren setter, and George found out I was there and asked me to come up in uh, his box. And uh, Reggie Jackson was there, and uh, we got a chance to spend about, oh, an hour, an hour and a half with George, and I was really amazed how well he was doing. I'd seen him about two years before that in Minnesota. We both spoke at a fundraiser for uh, Harvey. Uh, Harvey McKay, or 
Now, Harvey McKay was involved with it, but this was for Sid Hartman. Right, that's and, correct. Yeah. Uh, Sid Hartman uh, loved three people. He loved George Steinbrenner, he loved Bobby Knight, and for whatever reasons, and known only to God, he loved me. And so, and Bud Grant, excuse me, the four. And so we all went back, uh, and I was back this summer to celebrate his 90th birthday, but uh, I, I saw George in, and then of course his health really went down badly the last couple of years, but he was doing amazingly well. Sure, a little bit of a Yankee fan. Oh yeah, I, I'm a baseball fan. I grew up following baseball, but I was more a Cleveland Indian fan in the American League because it was associated with Ohio. We got the games that, you know, I could give you the starting lineup for the Indians to this day in 48 or 54 when we won the pennant. But, You're loving Bob Feller, I'm sure. Oh, Bob Feller, early win, uh, Mike Garcia, uh, Narleski, Mossy, uh, you had Larry Doby, you had Dill Mitchell, you had Bob Kennedy, the outfield. Yeah, you go on and on. Who, who was your idol growing up? Who was the, you know, the, 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 the player you looked up to? I, I really looked up to two players. I looked up to Stan Musial because of the name Lewis. St. Louis is the first team I started following. The guy I really admired uh, was uh, Ted Williams. And, and let me tell you why. Here was a guy who was tremendous, uh, tremendous baseball player, but also interrupted his career at the height of it twice to go fight for this country. I think of World War II and in the Korean War. And when uh, I was asked many, many years ago to go speak at the San Diego Hall of Fame. I don't know if people realize, but that was his hometown. And he was there, and I got a chance to spend a lot of time with him. You know what's amazing about him? He was really upset. He thought he was a great pitcher. He thought he was a better. He was like, he was like Babe Ruth. He was a pitcher coming out of high school. He thought he was a great pitcher. They made him an outfielder. But, uh, yeah, I admired him. Uh, but Bob, I, Feller, Bob Feller, too. Oh, Bob, Bob Feller, he's out of Iowa. Up. Absolutely. You know, he was a guy that could throw the ball. He's the one that really came up when the Indians weren't very good. But I, I tell you, I used to listen to those Yankee-Indian games with uh, Vic Rashi and Whitey Ford. And, uh, oh, just, you know, you had, uh, I go back to uh, DiMaggio playing center field, et cetera, and just Yogi Bear. And, oh, it just brings back a lot of money. Phil Rizzuto. Coach, do you collect anything? What's, what's in your sports room? I mean, so many, obviously, celebrities, people you've met, golf with. Championship. I mean, what's what's in that sports room? What, what are a couple of your prime treasures? Well, I, I have uh, some baseballs that were signed by the great people, and uh, I give them to my grandchildren. And I tell you, all the championship rings I've won at the different schools and watches, etc. I give them to my grandchildren when I'm still alive, and I think it uh, it is really great. And my my son Kevin is really great at this. He's great at collecting memorabilia. He has a son who's uh, probably going on seven right now. And he wants that young man to understand all the great players that he followed, hoping he will follow the great people today. And, and it's amazing, the memorabilia. I have uh, stuff from uh, Bleacher from Notre Dame's stadium, you know, when they en enlarged it, et cetera. But I have baseballs, pictures. But most important of all, I have the memories in my mind. And as I say, I'd rather have my memories than to have my youth. Because I've been blessed. I, I've been blessed to be around a lot of people. For example, Johnny Lujak was one of my heroes growing up. He wore number 32. He's a quarterback for Notre Dame, one Heisman. Johnny's still living today, excellent golfer, but a great person. I had no idea what a nice 
person, Johnny Luja. And so what's nice is all these people you read about or you cherish their autograph or their picture to find out what special people they are. That makes it makes life really pleasant. Surprised at how many people have, and we started doing your collection, I think about two, year, two or three years ago. Are you surprised at how popular you are and how much? I'm shocked. But you me, know, me too, Coach. You, I, I'm you not know, kidding. You know who's more shocked? My wife. She said, you, you keep going up there and sign that stuff. She said, they throw it away? Or what <laughs> they did? Because I, I, I look on myself, not as a celebrity. I am a simple individual that just had certain beliefs and certain values. And, and I've been blessed. You know, I was in the lower half of my high school class, and I was a great athlete, and I speak with a lisp, and I'm sort of funny looking, and uh, have a physique. It appears like I've been afflicted with beriberi and scurvy all my life. I just <laughs> try to go along and do the right thing and do the best I can and let people know I care about them. We were talking a, a few uh, months ago, and, and you had mentioned you, know, you have very few regrets, if any, but you have one. Yes. Um, one, one regret I, I really have, <clears throat> and I was talking to the NASCAR drivers the other day uh, in a little pep talk for ESPN. Uh, it was a uh, Gordon Air, uh, Kyle Bush, and uh, Tony Stewart. And I said the one thing, you know, there they are, they're very successful, they're on top. And the thing I regret the most, we went to Notre Dame, took program on the bottom, we took it to the very top. And for nine straight years, we went to a January 1 bowl, the sugar, the cotton, the orange, or the fiesta. Nobody's done it before, nobody's done it since. And we got on top, you get on top, you're successful, you say, you know, it's pretty good. Let's not jeopardize it. Let's not take any risks. Let's not try to grow. Let's just protect where we are. And it's the dumbest thing in the world because there's a rule of life that said you're either growing or you're dying. The tree's either growing or it's dying. So's a person, so's a business. And then have a thing to do with age. There are no age restrictions on dreams. But there's everything to do. Am I trying to get somewhere? Am I trying to improve? Or am I just going along and maintaining it? And when I left Notre Dame, I never thought I'd coach again. I mean, where you go from Notre Dame, according to my mother, go directly to heaven, you sit by the Pope. You, you don't coach him. But once I got out, I found out I wasn't tired of coaching. I was tired of maintaining. When you try to maintain, you never have a new idea. You never have reason to celebrate. You never have reason to get excited. And so that's the one thing I say to all successful people. Always try to get better. Did you feel like the, going to the Jets situation? Because it's very, I mean, the Jets, 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 everyone's talking about the Jets. New stadium, new ownership, you know, Woody Johnson, Rex Ryan. How hard is it to win there? How was your experience when you were with the Jets? I mean, tell, take me back to that experience. Well, the year was 1975, and we had had four great years at NC State. And I was a very young coach, very happy, had a good team coming back. And Al Ward and the New York Jets decided I should be the head coach. Uh, and when they offered me the job, I turned it down. And Al Ward, a wonderful person, said to me, come to New York and tell Mr. Hess yourself you don't want a coach. So I went up there to say no. And I met with Mr. Phil Islin and Leon Hess and Al Ward in New York, some French restaurant. I called my wife. She said, you did what? I said, I'm the head coach of the Jets. She said, you went up there to turn it down. I said, well, you know, if we don't like it, we can always go back to intercollegiate athletes. So I came up here without a vision, without a plan. Uh, just let's go see what it's like. And I could not 
have worked for a finer individual in this world than Leon Hess and Phil Wilson. I mean, beautiful people. Give everything you needed. But every time something went wrong, I'd say, I didn't think this would work out. I didn't think this is what I want to do. And it bothers me to this day that I walked away after one year, signed a five-year contract, left after one year because of a lack of commitment. And a couple weeks ago, I went to Birmingham, Alabama to do a roast for a fundraiser for Joe Namath. Richard Todd was there and Joe Namath. It, we, we, we talked about the New York Jets and experienced it. I, I feel bad that I let those people down. But as young, as immature, didn't understand what professional football is all about, I don't think you should ever hire somebody to coach in professional football unless they had been an assistant on that level also. Because the whole schedule is different, the mentality is different, the way you do things, the practice schedule. I'm used to having 100 people practice. All of a sudden, you got 50 and 20 of them are in the training room. How do you get better, et cetera? And uh, I, I feel bad that I was unfair to the New York Jets, and there's nothing I can do to change it. Do I regret it? Yes, absolutely. Not going there, but just the fact that I didn't fulfill the commitment that they gave me. Couple quick questions. Who is your favorite coach right now? And we've seen, by the way, uh, many coaches try the, the professional route, not succeed. So you won't be the, the last or the first. But who's your favorite coach? Give me a couple of your favorite coaches right now that you love, that are outstanding, that work their programs the way you work them. Oh, I'm my son Skip, who's doing very well. He did a great job at East Carolina, down South Florida. But I, I think you have to look at Nick Saban. I think Nick Saban, just his mentality, his work ethic. Urban Meyer coached for me at uh, Notre Dame, outstanding coach. I think what Bobby Stoops has done at Oklahoma, and this might be one of his better teeth. But I love Joe Paterno. I love Bobby Bowden. I, I thought the, those two guys were, you know, we grew up together, so to speak. And, you know, there was a time where you went to a coaches convention, all the head coaches would get together in somebody's suite. And, and I'd be a young coach. I remember Bear Bryant once saying, not to me, but to the group, don't worry about making friends. Don't worry about making enemies. Worry about winning. He said, if you win, your enemies can't hurt you. If you lose, your friends can't save you. Now today, with the multi-million dollar salaries and everything, everybody feels that everybody else is an enemy and et cetera. It's about one up and shit. And you lose what this sport's all about. Football's such a great sport because it's like life. You, you get knocked down, you gotta get up, you gotta subjugate your welfare for the welfare of the team, yeah? I just get excited when I talk about it, but I don't like some of the directions that's happening today. What's left? I mean, uh, for you, the, you know, what's, what, what's some things you're looking forward to? Uh, you know, when, when they put you in the Hall of Fame and they build a statue to you at the University of Notre Dame, but they, maybe they need a place for the pigeons, I, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I think it's uh, doing whatever I can to make this a better country for the people in the future. You know, I, there isn't anything else I want to accomplish in athletics, and I'm not trying to get an Emmy or anything else in TV, but just... Can, can I make a difference in people's lives? And I, I think this is a key question everybody has to ask themselves. If I didn't show up, who would miss me and why? If you didn't go home, would your family miss you? If you didn't go to work, would your company miss you? If your company went out of business, they may miss you. And, and where I really got that thought uh, was from a very good friend here in, in New York that owns all the sporting goods companies. You know who I'm talking Which about. Which model? Mitch Modell, you hit it, one of the great people. He told me that 
many years ago, and I've used it in speeches because it's so true. Let's make sure that we're making a difference in people's lives. And at my age, as I say, that that's all you can try to do. Make I sure. Be, I may be reading you a little. I think I'm reading you right, but you seem very content and happy with your place. I, I think you it. Uh, seem to be in good spirit. I think happiness is being content with what you have. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've, I've got great family. I've got a great wife, great children, you know, and just well, I'm going to try to make a difference in, in this country. And uh, what holds the country together are our core values. And what are our core values anymore? I don't know. It used to be honesty. It used to be hard work. It used to be obligation to your fellow human being. Um, one last thing. Your championship team. What separated that team? What was the difference there? Why, why that team? What was so special about that team? Well, to win a national championship, you've got to be lucky, number one. And I don't care which team you're on. There's going to be a player or two that's going to change your season. That year, Miami went for two and didn't make it. We win 31-30. The year next was a better football team. We went 12-0, beat seven conference champions. And uh, we lose to Miami when they complete a third and 42 pass from their nine-yard line. Uh, but, uh, or, or maybe in 93, we end up losing it because we drop an interception with 20 seconds to go and they kick a field goal, which was our only blemish. But what is it? You, you, there's three things. You try to get players you can trust. Get players who are totally committed to excellence. You get players that care about each other. And if you have somebody you can trust or committed to care, you put your arm around them, hug them, and never let them go. But I also think that the great champions are the ones that love what they're doing. They loved the game of football. You didn't have to give them a pep talk to come out to practice. They wanted to come to practice. They had fun. They liked football. There are too many people who play football today because somebody said you should or they think they can make a lot of money, et cetera, or because it's an individual sport. Play the game because you really, truly love it. And when you get people who love the game, man, they come to practice, they're going to get better. You laugh, you joke, you get on them. It's like Marcus Thorne. Marcus Thorne's now a doctor. Great guy. But he was a fullback. He always went the wrong way. I said, Marcus Thorne, someday I'm going to be retired. I'm going to pick up the paper and read where Dr. Thorne cut off the wrong leg. Because you don't know right from left. I mean, now we joke with him, but he's a great doctor today. But we had fun with what we did. We could ride one another. We could joke with one. But yet at the same time, there's time to do business and there's time to scream and holler and yell and rant and rave. There's also a time to pat people on the back and laugh and have fun. and. I loved every football player I've ever coached at every place I've ever been.